0: Well guys, I'm excited cuz we're beginning a brand new series. We're going to study the book of first Corinthians together. And here's the underlying theme behind this whole series. It's how the gospel impacts every area of life. What you're going to discover is this. What they struggled with in the first century are the same problems and issues we struggle with in the 21st century. And God's answers are just as relevant to us today as they ever have been. And there's a powerful truth for all of us. But let me dispel some myths. Today's kind of an introduction into this but so important because we're going to lay the foundation how we're going to approach the rest of all the messages when we deal with the issues that were in there. But listen, let me dispel some myths because too often people I hear sometimes say, oh, I really wish we were more like the first century church. Oh, Pastor Ken, the early church, they had it all together. They had it rocking, man. I wish we were more like that, man. The power of God was moving. Boy, I wish we were like the first century church. Well, let me dispel some myths for you, Okay. We act like somehow they had it all together, but the truth is when you read the epistles, remember this is the year of the Bible. I want you to be Bible readers. What you discover is this. They had problems like we have problems. And we're going to study the book of 1 Corinthians. Why? Because it was a church that was jacked up. Okay? They had problems. It was a troubled church that lived in the midst of a corrupt and, 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 you know, a culture that was in so many ways contaminated in ways, and so how does this truth, because the things that the early Christians struggle with are the same things as we unfold that we deal with, but the answers are all contained for us in this. That's why it's important to embrace these ends, but we're going to cover today because as we kind of jump into this end, the book of 1 Corinthians, why was it written? Or well, actually, let me give you a little bit an understanding. Corinth, the city to which Paul had planted this church, Corinth in its ancient times, although it was a city that was a part of Greek history, the Romans in 146 BC devastated and brought the city of Corinth to total rubble. Why? Because it had been the stronghold of Greek resistance against Roman rule. But this city was set up perfectly in this respect. It was a port city. And in the ancient world, that trade happened predominantly by sea, more than by land, because they didn't have land rovers. They didn't have all the vehicles like we have. No, it was easier to transport goods and services by sea. So this city was situated on the end of a, of a peninsula that was perfect for seafaring. And it had mountains behind it that kept it from being able to be invaded. So it was a really safe place. So after the Romans had destroyed it, 100 years later, Julius Caesar rebuilt the city and made it the capital of the Roman province of Acacia. And why is this significant? Because people started coming into the city from all over. It wasn't so much there was a lot of heritage to it now because of Roman devastation, but now retired Roman soldiers started living there. Merchants from all over the world, because this became one of the most prosperous and powerful cities in the ancient world, because of the ports, because of all the things that was happening there. It was really, really, it had it all going on. And the thing about this city, it had a temple, you know, a Greek temple to Aphrodite. Now, if you don't know who Aphrodite is, in the Greek world, that was the goddess of love, but more really is the goddess of sex. You know, in this temple, they had a 1,000 temple prostitutes, okay? So it was every kind of vice, every kind of area of corruption that kind of goes along with wealth and power. This city had it all. And because you had so many seafarers, you know, you had, solo, you, had, you had sailors coming in from all over the world. It's kind of like Corinth was like the ancient aspect of what Las Vegas has become in American culture. You know, they have this term, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, because you had all these people that were traveling there. You had every vice available. And people were like, well, hey. And they coined terms back in the ancient world. Because immorality became known as, oh, that was Corinthianizing. Okay? Or if you wanted to, you know, they call women. If you were called the Corinthian girl. It's kind of like in my, my Italian culture rising. And we call that a Bhutan. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a prostitute. Okay? The reality is this. It wasn't pleasant because it had a, a, a reputation for But here. Acts 18, Paul goes to the city of Corinth strategically. He figures, man, this is a wealthy and important city. This is a perfect launching place for the gospel into the ancient world. So he has this design of raising up a church there. So he goes to Corinth and begins to preach. Now two things happen. One is he finds resistance from the Jewish community that's there. But yet the pagans that were there were totally open to the gospel because what happens when you begin to share the good news with broken people, they recognize, man, they know the pain of a world that's beat them up and they're willing to hear some good news. And so Paul begins to preach there. Jesus even when it appears to him in a vision says, I have many followers here. So a powerful church arises. He spends a year and a half in Corinth raising up this church and then he goes on his missionary journey and he goes to the city of Ephesus. But while he's there, a messenger comes from Corinth that brings Paul news of the church. And said, Paul, there's problems. Trouble has arisen. And all of these things are happening in the church. So the reason that 1 Corinthians were written was to address the problems that were taking place in this New Testament church. And so here's the point that I want to understand. Because here's a misconception as well. I need to say this on the upfront side. People have a misconception of what the church is. People think the church is the place you go to escape from the world. A lot of people think that, right? No, but the truth is the church is the place you go to learn how to influence the world for good. Why? Because our Savior said you are in the world and not of it. But, often, but if we're honest, too often in the church world today, we alienate ourselves from the world, but we're full of it. Why? Because we bring all the problems of the world into the church, and we Christianize them in some fashion, and we fail to realize that we're supposed to be in the world, but not of it. Because why? We have misconceptions. Because listen to me, the church is not a museum for saints, but it is instead a hospital for sinners. We have failed to realize this then. Why? Because too often what happens? We think that the way to keep the church or to make the church holy is to get rid of all these contaminated people, okay? We don't want sinners in this place. When we fail to realize what brought us to this place to begin with, all of us have depravity because the last time I read the scriptures, we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. The church is the place where the gospel's to be preached so that lives can be transformed, which here's the title of my message today. How the gospel changes everything. So let's begin with this because I don't want to assume everybody here knows what the gospel is. So we need to begin with this understanding is this. The gospel is an invitation into a kingdom and a new way of life. In other words, when Jesus appeared on the scene, Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And Jesus invited people. He said, come. And follow me. Jesus began to show a way of living that God intended for us to live. But the gospel is, this word isn't alone contained to the Christian community. It was a word that was used in the ancient world. Because listen to me, it's a royal proclamation. The gospel is good news. In the ancient world, the, the Hebrews used the word Bashir, which means this. The news of a new king. Or the news of a victory in battle that now impacts all the people who are citizens, this has the ability to change their situation. Okay? Or the gospel was, a, was a, this, this, what we have to understand, people say, well, Pastor Ken, whoa, 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 whoa. I thought the gospel was about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Yes, but it's bigger than that. Because it's the determination and understanding who is Jesus, what did Jesus do, and what does that mean to you? Because the manner in which Jesus became king was his death, burial, and resurrection. That's how he became king. And now the good news is that there's an invitation available to every human to be able to become a citizen of the kingdom, to live the life, because Jesus knew that the life that he was portraying in his earthly ministry, would never be possible for us to live without his death, burial, and resurrection and the coming of the Spirit that would empower us to be able to live this way. Because through his death, burial, and resurrection would come forgiveness, acceptance, justification, a new birth, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost that gave us the ability to live in a way we could never live on our own. Because the good news of Jesus is what he did for us and what he's doing In us. But how's the entrance into the kingdom? Jesus, the most important question we as human beings will ever wrestle with to understand and to answer for ourselves is who is Jesus? And more importantly, who is he to me? Because when I invite him to be my king... There's a declaration of coming into the kingdom, but what you need to understand. Why is this good news? Because coming into the kingdom, you didn't come as a slave. You became a child. And it had nothing to do with what you did. You didn't earn your way in. You didn't do anything to deserve it. It was all about what Christ did on your behalf. You just had the guts to believe it. But too often what we do is we constrain, we, we contain in the Christian community the idea the gospel is for people outside the church. And when we do that, we inhibit the power of the gospel to change us from the inside out. Because why? Listen to me. The gospel is a catalyst that's power brings change from the inside out. Here's how Paul said it to the Romans. He said, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who what? Believes it. He said the gospel is what? The power. The word power there in the Greek is the word dunamis. And why is that important? Because it's God's power. It's supernatural power. We get the word dynamite from it. It is a power contained in what? In the message of the gospel. He said it's the power of God unto salvation. The word salvation literally soteria means deliverance from every form of evil. Whether temporal or eternal, which is what we, when you constrain it to it being for people without, then you begin to live. See, this is what happens too often in the Christian world. We allow the gospel to impact us, to accept Jesus as our Lord, but then we revert and try to live this life on our own. But the gospel preaches to us this truth, that the only one who can live the Christian life is Christ. I'm going to let that sink in for just a moment. Why? Because if you know the gospel, you know what? I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son who loved me and gave himself for me. When you allow the power, and that's what happens. When you don't let the gospel catalyze, because what is a catalyst? Now, I'm going to overly simplify a scientific term, but a catalyst by definition It's something that has the ability to change everything else around it without itself ever changing. And the good news to you and I is that when you discover the power of the gospel, it is what we have desperately longed for and needed. Because one of the most sad places on the planet is to try to live the Christian life in your own power. Carnal Christianity is absolutely a doggy downer. Because it wants everything the world has, but it feels a constraint because it's scared to do that. That's why it can be angry and mean, because when they see people thinking they get away with stuff, they wanna do it, but they feel constrained in some way. But when you understand the gospel, you begin to realize that perfect love casts out all fear. I have a misconception of God. If I'm scared of God, no, God is not the one to be scared of, because why? When you know the gospel, God so loved me that he gave his one and only son, that if I would believe in him, what, perform? What, do some works? Earn my way. No, 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 no. Believe in him that I could experience eternal life. And so here's the point. Let me illustrate this. Because see this bottle here? This bottle of Diet Coke has power. Not just power to make you skinnier. But there's power contained within it, okay? And it kind of shows that there's a dormant. This is what I want you all to understand. That there is a power too often dormant inside of you. You're trying to control your life circumstances by trying to control conditions from without when God changes things from within. But you see, you can't, but Christ can through you. See, you were created. The gospel teaches this end, that Jesus brought us into the kingdom to be children of God. We were created for relationship with God. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branch. Apart from me, there are things you could never, ever do. But through me, There are things I will have performed through your life you could have never done otherwise. I will produce fruit through you if you will allow the power of the gospel to work. So the gospel is a catalyst. So listen, see this? This is a minto. It's not only good for your breath. It can also be a great catalyst. And it's an illustration point for me because, listen, when you allow the gospel, see, if it's contained. See, too often we come to church and it's kind of like the minto is still in the wrapper you've never embraced the, two true, the total truth. And that's the point is that when you come to church and you act like everything is great here, but you forget what it's like and you go back and live your life the way you did before, that's not unwrapping the Mentos. And you're keeping the gospel from performing what it was designed and created to do in you because you can't, but he can through you. So it's embracing the truth because Jesus said when you believe the truth, when you embrace the truth, the truth has the power to set You free. So when you allow it to go unsettled in you, what happens is this. All of a sudden, something's released. Something's catalyzed. There's a power that's in you that has the ability to release and break chains and things you could never do on your own. You could never achieve on your own. But that power is only when you embrace the gospel. So watch. Remember, why was this letter written? It was written because there was problems in the church. Now, if you were to ask the average Christian today, how do you address such, said problems? Well, When we cover them, you realize that you'll be tempted to come up with your own ideas. And there are people, I, I mean, I get email from people, so I already know the viewpoints of a lot of people. They're like, Pastor Ken, the problem is, is you don't preach enough on sin. You can't say amen and say amen. You know some of that's true. That's the problem. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. We need to be Bible readers. Because, see... You would think with all the problems that are going on in the church that Paul's going to come in with guns a-blazing because that's the way we have attempted to try to handle it. But can I just tell you when you raise your kids, do you forget when you were a kid, tongue lashings from your parents didn't usually make the change. We change more by encouragement than we do by rebuke. Come on, let's be honest about something. So, But watch, I love this because if you want to know God's methodology, Paul might have written this letter, but he wrote it under the inspiration and power of the Holy Spirit. So there were problems. So how does he address the church? Chapter 1, verse 1 says this. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. Now, keep that, that, word, that, that, that name in your mind, because if you read uh, Acts 18, there's a really powerful truth. I'm going to cover it in a minute. But Sosthenes. And then he says this. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy people, together with all of those everywhere who are on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Notice what he did not say. He didn't rebuke them and say, you backslidden bunch of buzzards need to pray through, repent, and get it right. Because if you don't, you're out. Because we're, we're famous for kicking them to the curb. We are, we, the church is famous for shooting its wounded. We get offended about what somebody does that we can see. But we do a good job of covering up what nobody can see. But God sees it all. See, we think that's the approach. But no. What does Paul say? He reminds them of something. This is who you are. See, we, he doesn't even say you're not Christians. See, we, we sit around when we judge others. I mean, come on. We're in church. Be honest right now. We all have a tendency at times, we see something going on in people's lives, we go, I thought they were a Christian. <laughs> but look at verse 3, he goes, grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Not like you dirty, rotten people, you need to get it straight. No, grace and peace. It's not the way, see, it's not so much sometimes what you say. it is all to do with how you say it. And so important, if we would gain understanding, see, if you would listen today and understand something, not only does it have the power to change you, probably have the way, power to how you can make a difference in the lives of your family, the lives of coworkers and other people in your life. Approach it the way God approaches it. Because why? Listen, we'll catch it. Listen. He goes on in verse 4 to say, I always thank my, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given to you in Jesus Christ. For in him... You have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and all kinds of knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. He didn't say, hey, listen, you all are in, you're in the doghouse. God is angry at you. See, what do we want to do? We want, this is why we're not really good Bible people. Because when I talk to those people who want you to rebuke and go down the road, I say, well, come on, show me where you're talking about. And they always go back to an Old Testament prophet. And I hope you all know and understand the differential. Why did an Old Testament prophet talk the way he talked? Because you understand, if you understand the gospel... They weren't born again. They weren't children of God. The Holy Spirit didn't live in them. That was what was prophesied. Ezekiel said, the day will come when I will sprinkle you with clean water and you will be clean from all of your filthiness. And I will put a new heart in you. I will take away the stony heart and put a heart of flesh in you. And then he said what? And I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my ways. In other words, God was saying he knew that without Christ coming and fulfilling what the Jewish scriptures had promised the the Messiah to be, that we were incapable of doing it on our own. That's why this is such good news because you can't save yourself. But if you listen to people, especially church people, they act like, well, I do this when I do that, therefore I'm a Christian. And I'm like, excuse me? Are you understanding that it's not about what you do, but it's about what's been done and having the guts to believe and trust that Jesus is who he said he is and that he did for you because he took your sin to the cross. He's the one who defeated death, hell, and the grave. He's the one that filled you with the Holy Ghost and your ability to walk above has to do with everything, learning to trust and believe in the power of the gospel. So in essence... Thus, God confirming his testimony because he said, Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the. Who's the he he's talking about? God. See, God's opinion is so much different than others' opinions. See, people make concerns like, I'm done with you. I've had it with you. Kick you to the curb. But guess what? The good news is God never will. God will never give up on you. God will never forsake you. He will never leave you. The people around you may leave you. Your friends may leave you. Your family may leave you. People in the church world may leave you. But guess what? Jesus will never leave you because he came to be the savior of the world. And what did he come to save us from? Our sins. He is is the ever-present help when we turn to him and put our trust in him. But you see, when you listen to the opinions of others, That's why people go darker. When they find themselves in trouble, they go, oh, God's angry at me. That's obvious because everybody else is angry at me. So I am just give up. I'll just give in. I'll just go back to living the way I did. But no, that's lying against the truth. You are not who you used to be. That's what Paul is bringing out. He says he will keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking to a jacked up church, guys. He said, God is faithful. Aren't you glad? Maybe the good news for you today is it doesn't matter what the opinions of others are. God is faithful. And what God says is true. And when you have the guts to believe what God says, the truth will make you free. So he says here, God is faithful who called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So here's the thing that you need to understand. What is Paul doing in this moment? How is he approaching the situation? He's reminding them who they are. See, what we fail to realize is what is the gospel to us? So you need to learn to preach the gospel to yourself. Why? Because we allow the testimony of things around us. I'll tell you this it took me taking a sabbatical, guys. It's truth that I knew. Listen to me. I allowed, see, me standing here on this, on this platform, I am not what I do. I am a son of the living God. I'm a beloved son of God. But you see, I began to allow my occupation, what I do, to become so important on these fronts that I was riding the waves and when things were going good in the church, I feel good. When things are going bad, I'm a failure. And allowing the enemy to write a narrative where I'm spending all my time, instead of rehearsing and remembering what Christ has done for me, what Christ is doing in me, and remember that God is faithful. For what he began, he will complete under the day of Christ. But you and I need to allow ourselves to be exposed to the gospel. Because why? You see, I am who God says I am. I mean, I love y'all, but your opinion to me doesn't really matter. I'm not living to try to please any of you. I have a father whom I love, who loves me, who saved me, who delivered me, who has not left me, who will always believe in me. And we as humans do so much war when encouraged. But you see, the problem is why is Paul doing this? I remember when my kids were young, we watched that, the movie The Lion King, like multiple, multiple times, right? Anybody ever see The Lion King? Well, in the storyline of The Lion King, okay, what was the problem with Simba? He forgot who he was. He was hanging out with Timon and Pumbaa, just kind of going through life. Kuna Matara, you right. But what's the problem? Is that too often, some of you, that's the problem. You're just going around kind of living, and you don't know who you are. You need a Rafiki to show up in your life. You need someone to, what did that little monkey do? He made him look in the water and say, You have forgotten who you are. You are the son of Mufasa. You are the king that was born to rule. And see, the problem is, too many of you, you don't know who you are. The reason you're thinking about going back, the reason that you're struggling with some of the things you're struggling with is because you have not embraced who you are. You are, you are a child of the living God. Which means what? If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. All things have passed away. You are not who you were. And although the world and friends and others will try to pull you back, the more you embrace the gospel, the power of the gospel sets you free from all of this. See, why are so many of you carrying in the baggage of the things you've done? the problems you had, and living under shame, living in fear, living in disgrace. No, you need the power of the gospel to liberate you from the lies of the wicked one, because that's not who you are. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. If you are in Christ, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. If you are in Christ, God has delivered you from the power of darkness and translated you into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom you have redemption even the forgiveness of your sins so why are you listening to the condemning voice of the past no, they that are in Christ Jesus are no longer in condemnation for the law, the power, of the spirit has been at work in me, you need to allow the power of the gospel to catalyze, because listen, listen, listen this is so important when you see as God sees, you're more inclined to do as God says See, when God looks at you, what does he see? Not what you think he sees. See, you will never be free until you begin to see yourself as God sees you, which requires us to do something, okay? It's a bold move. It requires you to put on gospel glasses. Now, this looks ridiculous to you, but you know what? It changes my whole perception because everything around me looks green. When you begin to look through the eyes of God, which is what the gospel is, when you begin to listen to the truth, it changes everything. No longer do you see yourself as a failure. No longer do you see yourself as not mounting up. No longer do you see yourself by what you did. See, just because you failed doesn't make you a failure. Any more than me going to McDonald's after this will make me a hamburger. No, if I get today and I go out and play in some mud, that's not gonna make me a pig. Why? I am new in Christ Jesus. What was a fish born to do? What was a fish born to do? To swim, right? What was a bird born to do? What is a Christian born again to do? To be like Christ, to live the life. God empowered you by his spirit to experience. You can do all things through Christ who strengthened you. When you have that union, when you have that relationship, when you are living and abiding in him, then guess what? Your days of failure. What can we say? What does the scripture say? See, when you begin to preach the gospel to yourself, If God be for me, then who can be against me? Because he who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for me, how shall he not with him freely give me all things? Therefore nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus my Lord. But why do we let a failure, why do we let a mess up, why do we let something that we allowed to happen and we run from God instead of running to God and we receiving The power of what the gospel brought to us. Because if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Without all the penance that we try to say, well, I have to earn this. i got to do this. No, you haven't believed the gospel. You say, well, Pastor Ken, that's too easy. No, no, listen to me. What does the gospel change? As we look at it, look at What does the gospel change? The gospel changes our standing. What do I mean by that? Well, the Bible tells us now in Christ, you have been justified freely by his grace. In other words, it's got anything to do. You've been pardoned. You've been forgiven. You've been released. There is no more record of wrongs. That's what the gospel preaches. So why do you keep bringing up your past failures, all your mistakes, all your sins, and all the things you struggle with? Why do you keep bringing up when God says you are justified freely by his grace? See, the Bible says... 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us. Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. See, the more you believe you're righteous, you'll go out and live righteously. If you try to do it in your own power, you will fail again and again and again. But when you begin to believe, this is what I was born to do. This is who I am. When I look in the mirror, I realize that they that receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's what I preach to myself. I have given a gift. It's not anything earned. It's what Christ did on my behalf. and that gift has the power to free me from all the things that once held me back and try to tempt me from going back. That's why Paul said to the Roman Christians when they're debating, he says, guys, you're all saying, shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? He said, no way. How shall you who are dead to sin live that way anymore. That's not who you are. You're more than that. You were created anew in Christ Jesus. That's who you were. That's not who you are. Don't listen to that anymore. You're not going back. Because guess what? Remember what was back there. Nothing good. The temporary, momentary satisfactions brought a world of guilt, shame, and remorse. And no, I'm free from all of that because whom the Son has set free, I am free indeed. You say, well, Pastor Ken, isn't that giving license to people to go out and do what they want? Here's the point. If you have a living relationship with God, Taste and see that the Lord is good. When you have tasted the goodness of God, that would be like trying to convince you that Taco Bell is the, is the true, authentic Mexican experience. No, are you kidding me? No, it is so far less. You need to understand. In fact, I even question: is that real meat? But that's another thing. No, no, here's the point. When you know who you are, why would I want to live less than what? See, when God comes and encourages us, what does God see? He sees a child that's born again. Think about this. Do children, when learning to walk, get it right the first time? Then why do we think walking in the Spirit is immediately, is a no-fail process? Are you kidding me? No. God says when you fall down, get up, brush it off. Wash again. See, washing in the gospel is like taking a bath every day. Because we walk in a world where there's, where there's contamination and sin all around us. But God says, come home. Rinse off. Remember who you are. And don't allow yourself to get caught up in this. Learn from today. I know tomorrow when you go about it, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And I'm now more wise to the enemy's moves, and I'm not going, because the enemy's the one trying to write the narrative to tell you to go back, to tell you nothing's really happened. Maybe you're not really a Christian. That is a lie, because what did you do to get saved? You put faith in Christ and Christ alone. So why do we continue to say, what does it do to detach you from Christ? One mess up, one mess up. Oh my God, if you do that, I mean you could whatever church I go to, they got their own list. You fall on that list, you're out. But here, what does the gospel say? That's the power of what we need to recognize, believe, understand, because it creates because the last it creates a status. You become a child of God. The very fact is this who are you? See, who is your father? I'm not, the devil ain't my dad. He used to be, but I was adopted into a new family. I was changed. Guess what? Now I'm born again. What's the Holy Spirit come and do inside of us? He testifies you are a child of God. He's encouraging you. You are different. You are not who you used to be. So stop thinking that way. Stop confessing that way. Stop getting around people who don't inspire you to be who God called you to be. Remember who you are. Remember what God has done. You are an heir of God. And a joiner with Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit comes to testify in our heart and cause us to cry, Abba, Father, you were created for an intimate relationship with God. And the Bible teaches us we've been adopted. And why is that important? Why is that significant? Why did Paul, inspired by the Spirit, write about the aspect of adoption? Because in the Roman culture that he was writing to, listen to me, adoption required consent by both parties. We miss this today because we think of adoption from a child point of view. And children don't have a choice. But in the Roman culture, to be adopted, the adoption was never fully legal until the person was old enough to say, I consent. I want to be a child. Because adoption in the Roman world was everything that natural birth brought. You were a heir. You had privilege, you had every, you were as if you were born into that home. But the beauty and why it's so important to the gospel is because God doesn't violate your choice. You were adopted because we have a chance. You couldn't choose who your natural parents are, but you have every right to choose who your spiritual father is. And the power of adoption is to know God loved you so much that He chose you that he picked you out, that he wanted you, but he also gave you the dignity to respond to his love. And isn't that what the gospel teaches us? That God so loved the world that whosoever, this is good news to all the world. But we send to, as the Christian world, act like it's not good news. Because why? We have not allowed the, the truth of the gospel to penetrate our consciousness and become a part of our reality. And the gospel changes our security. Why so many Christians fear? Oh, my God, if I do this or do that, I'm going to be on the outs with God. No, listen to me. God is for you. God is your number one champion. God believes in you. Does that mean God doesn't want you to sin? No, why does God's heart break when you sin? because he knows there's so much more for you that he doesn't want the pain and the discomfort and the things that it does to you to affect you. He loves you so much that he doesn't want you to bear the, pow- the, the, the consequence of such choices. But if we're honest, what bothers us about other people's sin? Are we heartbroken because of what it'll do to them? Or are we honest? I mean, come on, we're in church. Can you be honest? Can you allow a little bit of honesty to come in? No, we're offended and upset because of them because of what they did, because it bothers us. Not because we think that there's a problem with them. No, we, we try to put some you know, holy thing around it, but no, no, really if we're honest, we're usually upset because we wanted to do what they did, but we didn't do it, and we think they got away with something, and if the gospel's true, they're forgiven, and that's just not right, and I got ripped off, and they're, no, that is a lie. That is totally discombobulated to what the gospel really is, because you never feel that someone who sinned got away with anything, You realize that I was born for more than this. I don't need a cheap knockoff to make my heart satisfied. When the God of heaven loves me, when the God of heaven wanted me and chose me, adopted me, made me his own, and who is able to keep me from falling and present me blameless to himself, no, I have security. I'm not living in fear. No, perfected love casts out all fear. I don't follow God because I'm scared of him. I follow him because I love him so much. I revere him for who he is and who he believes in me to be. That truth has the power to change you like nothing else on this planet. That's why it's good news in here. Listen to me. When the church is living the gospel, it becomes the hope of the world. Desperately now more than ever, Our world needs to see people who truly live by that truth. Who truly embrace this reality. Who understand and know who they are. Because they won't try to be something they're not. The more they believe in who they are, the more they will go out and live. Because that's who they were born again to be. But the power of the gospel needs to be something you allow to continue to work in you. To continue to empower you. To be everything Jesus intended you to be. God believes in you. You need to believe in yourself.